Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. I love this series. We're talking about working out your faith. Come on, working it out. How many of you know God does a work within, but then we have to work it out? And James is such a great, great book of the Bible, so practical. We've talked about a lot over the last several weeks. If you were here three weeks ago, we we talked about trials and troubles. Count it all joy. Not if, but when. When trouble comes, consider it an opportunity for joy. How many of you this past week have had a lot of opportunity for joy? Oh, yes. And then we talked about faith and works. And we don't work for salvation, but we work from salvation. And then if you were here last Sunday, how many of you made it to church last Sunday? All day, David Ray. Didn't he do a fantastic job? Come on, put your hands together. Show your love. Wow. Man, I went to Home Depot this week. Had to paint because he's preaching it all off the walls. Come on, Larry and the Beans. What's up? What's up? That was awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I want to talk to you about partiality and prejudice. Partiality and prejudice. You know, the Bible speaks to every issue in life. And I'm so thankful for God's word. Though it's an ancient document, it speaks a very present and purposeful message. Can I have a good amen? James chapter 2, starting with verse 1. James says, my brethren... Come on, somebody say brethren. And this would include the cistern as well, okay? So we're talking about family. This is the family of God. This is a message that James is writing to the brothers and sisters in Christ. He says this, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now underline that phrase. We'll get back to that. That's super important as we unpack this text together. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, hey, Come sit here in a good place. But you say to the poor man, no, 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 you stand over there. Or, hey, you can sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Now, notice James is giving a hard word, but he's saying it in love. He's saying, guys, I love you. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Oh, such a great word, a a word that speaks straight to us, that challenges us, a word that calls us out. Uh, How many of you are thankful for friends in your life that that are holding you accountable to some things? Come on, if you're not holding me accountable, then you're holding me back. Come on, talk to me. Uh, James just speaks right to where we live, and he he gives us the tough stuff. He talks to us about the truth, but he, he speaks it in love. It reminded me of a story I heard recently. One Sunday morning, an old man walked into a community church for worship service. He wore old tattered clothes and worn out shoes and was completely unshaven. He smelled kind of bad, so nobody spoke to him. 
He sat alone in the back. As the service ended, he filed out with the other members where the pastor was greeting everyone. As he passed by, the pastor said, uh, Sir, you may have noticed that our members are dressed well. We pride ourselves as a well-groomed congregation. If you plan to join us next Sunday, you might want to ask God about our dress code. So the man said that he would. The following Sunday, he came back to church wearing the same tattered clothes, worn out shoes, hadn't shaved, smelled bad, just like before. He sat in the back and no one spoke to him. As the service ended, the pastor caught him again and said, "Uh, excuse me, sir, I thought we agreed that if you were to come back, you would ask God about our dress code. The old man said, well, I did. The pastor said, well, what did God say? The man said, God told me he had no idea what your dress code was because he's never been here before. (laughs) Oh, come on, somebody. Mm -mm -mm. How many of you know that in the house of God, among the people of God, there is no room for prejudice or partiality? Can I have a good amen? You know, in this text, and I want to give you some context, because I know we read the text, but when we understand how it was written and why it was written, it makes more sense. If you're taking notes, I want to give you three simple thoughts, and the first one is this. Number one, I want to talk to you about the glory of the Lord. Somebody say glory. Come on, say glory. A little old school. I remember growing up in a charismatic church, and there sometimes people would get happy, and they'd say Glory. What is glory? Well, the the word glory, there's an Old Testament word for glory called Shekinah. Have you heard that word? And some of you that have studied the scripture, this is a great word too. It may be a good word study for you. Shekinah was the word, the Hebrew word for glory that literally meant this, the manifest presence of God. The indwelling of God's presence was his Shekinah. So when you make reference to glory, you're talking about his presence. I pray that the glory of the Lord would always fill this place. If church isn't about his presence, I don't want to be a part of it. I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to go through the, the, the motion of religion and ritual. Can I have a better amen? I mean, if Jesus isn't here, then why have we gathered? I'm not here to impress anybody. I sure don't want to depress anybody. But if if the glory of the Lord is not among his people, then something is missing. Something is wrong. The Bible speaks of Shekinah. In fact, in the Old Testament, the glory of God was what literally led the children of Israel through the wilderness. You remember there was a cloud by day and a fire by night, and they would follow the cloud. They would follow that fire, and that was the glory, his presence that was was manifested among his people. And you know, you didn't just approach the presence of God any old way. You had to come with respect. There was a certain reverence that God required when his presence would show up. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and I've been studying the tabernacle. I can't wait to preach that. I want to teach that hopefully soon. But the tabernacle, the Old Testament layout of the tabernacle was a picture of what's happening in heaven and how to approach the presence of the Lord. You know, only one time a year, 
One man in the whole nation had the right and the responsibility to enter into the holy of holies, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. In fact, Aaron, the Bible says, Aaron the priest had two sons in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, and they offered up strange fire. And the Bible says that the fire of the Lord consumed them because they didn't approach his glory with respect. Are you catching this? You see, there's something about the glory of the Lord that helps us when it comes to how we treat other people. I think that this is a top button issue. When I say top button, you know what I mean? If if I see some of you, you have a button-down shirt. Some of you guys are wearing a button-down shirt. Have you ever been in such a hurry to get dressed that you kind of put yourself together and you didn't really notice and you walk out the door and your shirt is all twisted? Because you didn't get the buttons right. You know, a simple solution is you just line the top button up. And it's amazing when you get that top button right, every other button falls in place. And I think as a church, this issue on glory is a top button issue. If we understand the manifested presence of God, then we're going to know how to treat people the way that we should. Nod your head if you're with me today. How many thinks we have a problem in this country currently this culture with how we treat one another man the animosity and the vitriol and 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 just the anger i mean it's it's so polarizing it's it's disappointing and yet i think if the church can understand the glory of the lord we'll know how to treat people as we should James is writing this letter to the church. Now, let me give you some context. At this time in the first century church, most of the people who attended church were poor. The gospel was appealing to those impoverished because the message of the gospel is this. You have nothing to offer, but in Christ you have everything to gain. And so for those who were poor in this world, they had nothing to impress. They had nothing to give, but they had everything to gain. And in Christ, they could receive something that the world could never give. Now, by contrast, the rich were a little offended at the gospel because to the rich, you had to give something up in order to gain something that the world cannot give. Are you with me? Jesus told the rich young ruler, he says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And so at this time in the first century church, James is writing this letter and most of the church was represented by poor people. The gospel grew exponentially in impoverished areas. But every now and then, a rich person would come to church out of curiosity. And so what would happen is they would walk in church and they stood out. They were different. They had nice clothes. They had nice things. And what was happening is then the church leaders would take the rich people and sit them in seats of honor and they would discard their impoverished friends. And James says, no, 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 no. This is unacceptable. How many of you know human nature, it it, it panders to the popular instead of sitting with the poor. Our our, our nature, and, and Jesus knew this, James recognized this, and so he's writing about the glory of the Lord. Now, now here's, let me make some connection here because the manifested presence of God then puts everything in perspective, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're educated or uneducated, whether you have a little or a lot, 
whether, whether you grew up in the inner city or in the suburbs, whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're male or whether you're female. You can be Democrat, you can be Republican. Come on, are you catching this? You see, all of the classism and, and the division, that we, with the boxes that we draw and place people in, the gospel is greater. And, and the glory of the Lord sees above all of that. It's almost like, here's the analogy, the, the picture that I thought of this week. You know, have you ever at night just looked out in your backyard and looked up at the sky and see all the amazing stars? Oh, man, I was, I guess a week ago, I, I stepped out of my backyard, and it was breathtaking. I saw all these stars that were just brilliant, and I thought, God, you know each star. You placed each star in the galaxy. You've given a name to every star, and then something amazing happens, though. When the sun comes up the next morning, the stars disappear. Why is that? Because the light of the sun is greater. And I want you to know that in church, there are no superstars. There is the light of the sun. Come on, are you with me? His name is Jesus. And this thing is based on him and him alone. Uh, there, there is no celebrity status in the kingdom. Only the superstar, Jesus himself. Can I have a good amen? Now, now here's, a, here's a scripture that I want to tie into this, the glory of the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is a foundational verse. It's the construct of our, our theology. I want you to watch this, verse 27. The scripture says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in that one little verse, there's a lot. Notice what I highlighted for you to pay attention to. It's the phrase, in the image of God. Now, the Latin to that is called imago Dei. And some of you are familiar with this, imago Dei. It's literally translated, you were made in the likeness, the similarity. You were made in the image of God. This is a big deal. All of creation displays the splendor and the majesty and the wonder and the creativity of God. But only human beings are made in his image. There are certain characteristics that the divine nature of the Lord was the pattern for which we were constructed. I thank God for all of creation, and there's some beautiful parts of the earth. I love the plants and animals, but only human beings are made in his image. In fact, I want you to do this. I want you, if you're seated next to somebody, maybe you're watching at home or, or you're online, and if somebody's in the room with you, I want you to check out the person that's sitting next to you. Just kind of look them over for a minute. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I know, I create awkward moments all the time. I apologize for that. But I want you to look at that person next to you, and I want you to recognize they were made in the image of God. What you are looking at is not just simply flesh and bone. You are looking at the divine nature of God expressed in the earth today. Some of you are not too impressed. <laughs> Can you imagine that hairstyle on your head? Come on, check them over. That nose on your face. All the intricate details of that individual next to you collectively is the expressed 
Love and divine nature of God expressed in the earth. Now, let me say this. You cannot look at God's glory or see somebody made in his image and treat them like trash. Come on, talk to me today. Talk to me. This is, this is what we teach our children, is it not? Isn't this what needs to be retaught in the church? Why are we letting strife and division and animosity cause us as the brethren and the sistren, come on somebody, to tear each other apart? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And that's why when it comes to issues like, like racism and abortion, do you know those are not political issues? Those are spiritual issues. You can't look at somebody of a different color and then put them in a place lower than you and mistreat them because of how they were created. What you're looking at is the image of God. And if you don't treat the glory of God, the image of God with respect, come on now. That's why I believe that racism has no place in the body of Christ. I think as the church, we ought to be the example of Imago Dei, made in God's image. The, the world should look at the church to learn how to figure racism out. Because they're not going to learn it in a lot of other environments. Can I have a better amen? You see, God has anointed us with this revelation of Imago Dei. And I'm all about justice, but I think that you have to bring justice through Jesus. It's got to come through Jesus. You know, the gospel, I want you to consider this. The gospel is the only thing that can bridge the gap between a lost man and a holy God. Think about the infinite division between God and man. The only thing that can bridge that division is the gospel. Well, listen to me. If the gospel is enough to bridge the divide between man and God, surely it's enough to bridge the divide between every ethnicity on the planet. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we teach Jesus. It's not behavior modification. It is a revelation of the presence of God within his people. Are you catching this? And the same thing for abortion. Abortion is not some political, oh, Mike, I'm getting nervous. You're talking about racism. You're talking about abortion. How many of you know this Bible right here is not afraid to go anywhere and speak to anything? We got to get back to this. Because if we're made in his image, we don't make up our own morality as we go. Man, the truth, how many know all truth is God's truth? Man, and you can't legislate morality. God has already written it in his book. Do you know that this book does not distinguish between life in the womb and life outside the womb? All life is precious. In fact, God told Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I called you. I ordained you. You've got an assignment. And right there as he was being made in utter seclusion, in darkness, God spoke to him and began to put him together. You remember when, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit Elizabeth. Remember that exchange in Luke chapter 1? And Elizabeth was pregnant too. And she was pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay, some of you know. So you got two pregnant women that are talking, and they're just kind of da, 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 just talking all over each other. And I can just imagine what it would have been like in that exchange. And the Bible says when Mary walked into the house and Elizabeth saw her, the baby in her belly, John the Baptist, started doing backflips. 
Come on, even Baptists can be charismatic sometimes. Come on, talk to me. You didn't know a Baptist could dance. It's all right. If you're Baptist, you can dance in church. John the Baptist was the first one to do it on the inside of his mama's belly. You see, if we understand the image of God, we fight for life. We we fight for justice among relationships. Partiality in the Amplified Bible means favoritism, prejudice, or snobbery. Snobbery. What do you think of when you think of the word snobbery? You know what? Healing Place is a no-snob zone. Come on, talk to me. I don't know what you get at work. I don't know what you're feeling at school. I don't know what your neighborhood's like. But when you come into this house, this is free from prejudice and partiality. Why? Because we understand the glory of the Lord. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Oh, I got to hustle. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to this verse. This is great. Isaiah 40, verse 4. The Bible says, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places smooth. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Somebody say glory. Now, let me ask you this. When is the glory of the Lord revealed? When the mountain is brought low and the valley is exalted. Watch this. When you don't show favoritism or preferential treatment to those and you don't scorn others. You see how sometimes we treat people on this scale? The Bible says the mountain has to be brought low and the valley has to be exalted. And then when the playing field is level, the glory of the Lord can be revealed. What does that tell me? Every single person we come in contact with, we have to treat them the same. It doesn't matter their position or their popularity. It doesn't matter if they can do something for you or not. I mean, when you treat everybody the same, it creates a runway. Come on. Now, how, uh, if a plane is going to take off, it has to have a level surface for a long time. But man, when it taxis down that runway, it catches lift off and it goes to another altitude. And here's what I felt the Lord share with me. He said, Mike, the church can go to another altitude if the playing field is level. If we have a robust understanding and application of Imago Dei, when you know the glory of the Lord made in the image of God, then your life can go to another level. Can I have a good amen? The glory of the Lord, number one. Number two, so that we're looking up the glory of the Lord. Now let's look out. What does this mean as it relates to the value of people? Can I speak in a very practical sense for a few moments? I know we've been looking up, talking spiritual. Let's look out now and let's talk practical. Let me ask you this question. Do you treat your boss differently than you treat your spouse? It's getting quiet in here. Some of you are like, well, my, my boss is my spouse. Come on, I get that. I understand that. I understand that. That makes perfect sense. How many of you sometimes we'll talk to our coworkers one way and then get home and talk a different way? Listen, if they're the image of God at work, they got to be the image of God at home. Um, Are you the same person in public that you are in private? Students, do you have an eye for the individual that's sitting by himself or by herself? That is the image of God that you can show value to. You know, my dad taught school for over 30 years. 
And I, I, on many occasions, I would see him talk to the principal, and I would see him talk to the janitor, and he had the equal amount of respect for both. He didn't talk to the, to the principal with respect and then badmouth the janitor. Come on, somebody. I think there, there's, there's something to be said for how we treat other people. Now, now, listen, not only are they the image of God, but I want you to see this. How you treat other people says something about you. You say, well, you know what? I would be kind to them if they were kind to me. Whoa, 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 time out. You got it all wrong. You need to be kind to somebody else because you are kind. You show honor because you're a person of honor. Well, Mike, they haven't acted honorable. Well, it's not about them. Now, this is about what God's doing in you. Come on, are you with me? I think these are the questions, now these are the challenges that James is bringing to the New Testament church. Don't show favoritism to this person and then talk bad to that person. Wait a second. This is about what God is doing in you. And a watching world studies the church. And if what they see in here is exactly what's going on out there, then why would the world ever come to the church if when they get here, they're only going to find more of themselves? Oh, come on now. There's got to be something different about the people of God because we understand the glory of God and then the value that sets on somebody else. You know, there are some personal disciplines that help me with this. And I just want to, I wrote a quick list and this may stir some thoughts and ideas even for you. But I think this could help us when it comes to valuing other people. Every year I make a commitment to go on a missions trip. I want to go on a missions trip. I, I want to serve. And I'm telling you, when you experience the presence of God in a different culture and a different context and you serve impoverished people, you realize how blessed you are. And in fact, you go to give, but what you get back is more than anything you give to them. And you, well, I'm going to change them and make a difference and tell them God loves them. And then you get back and you're like, wait, God changed me. He rearranged me. Well, I, I got to make some adjustments in how I see life. Going on a missions trip, going on an outreach in the community. You know, one of the things that I do, and I, I got to be careful in how I share this, but I thought about this idea because I think it speaks to what we're talking about, valuing others. Every Sunday when I drive up on this campus, and this is a big campus, and there's a lot of parking spaces, I get here early, early on Sunday, and I park over here in this east parking lot, and I park in the farthest spot possible. My little Honda, 2008, my Honda Accord comes on this property every Sunday, and I park in the back 40. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Well, because I, I, I got a couple hundred thousand miles. It's 12 years old. I don't want you scratching my Honda. You know that's not true. All of our pastors and our staff that get here, we park way out so that we can create space for you as you pull up. Well, wait a second, Mike. Aren't you the pastor? Don't you have a special reserved parking spot? No. And I never will. Why? Because I want you to sense value when you come here. This is not a church where there's big eyes and little U's. Come on, are you with me? This is important. In fact, on Sundays, sometimes when I'm not preaching on Sundays and I'm able to be here, I like serving in the parking lot. I love driving a golf cart. I love picking you up in the park. I'm blowing my horns, and I see the looks on some of your faces. You're like, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? And I'm dangerous on that golf cart. I know I am. 
But I love picking you up and bringing you to church and dropping you off. I love working in that parking lot. You know why? Because I don't want you to think that the guy up here is more important than the guys out there. Come on. How many of you are thankful for the men in orange? Come on, put your hands together. You see, when you understand the image of God, everyone has value. Uh, You know what else I try to do? (laughs) Some of this I'm still working on. Let someone ahead of me in traffic. Well, I can tell how much you like that one. Let me move on. (laughs) How many of you got is still in the, 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 the sanctification process? Your religion is tested when you leave the building. Oh, yeah, all nice and neat. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. And then you get stuck in, in traffic, and it's like, oh, Jesus just left the building. <laughs> Let somebody ahead of you in traffic. I was taught this. Stand up when an elder walks into the room. Somebody older than you comes into the room, you offer your seat to them out of respect. What is this? This is about setting value on somebody. What about this? Return the, sharp, the shopping cart when you're done. Some of you like, I got stuff to work on this week. Yeah, this week when you go to Albertsons, you go to Walmart, I'm telling you, you're going to remember these words. Listen, somebody else has got to use that little buggy. Come on, somebody. You're thinking of other people. You know, and the last thing I, I put, when you eat at a restaurant, tip generously. Tip generously. My sister, she, I think about her every time we go to eat somewhere. She worked in the restaurant industry for 15 years. And she told me, she said, Mike, I know you're a pastor, but sometimes you Christians are the stingiest people I've ever met. Oh, listen, how about our God being generous to us? How about his gracious kindness resting upon us and us translating that to somebody else? Let me show this example. There's a difference between significance and prominence, okay? Watch this. Significance and prominence. My nose is prominent, okay? I want you to zoom in a little bit and check check, check this out right here. See that? It's prominent. It's visible. You see it. You like it? Do you know that it, it, it's, it's prominent, but it's not significant? Do you know I can live without my nose? I really can. And I've actually done this before. 23 years ago, I was in a car accident, and I had my nose ripped completely off my face. So not everything you're seeing right here is real, okay? Mr. Potato Head, you know? It's prominent because you see it, but it's not significant because I can live without it. But guess what? My liver, my spleen... It's not prominent, you can't see it, but it's significant. If I didn't have it, my body couldn't survive. Now watch this. Don't treat people according to their prominence. Treat them according to their significance. Every person has value. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Oh, I got to hustle. I got to hustle. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. The Bible says when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, no, 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 no. Don't judge by his appearance. Come on. Even the prophet got it wrong. He made a judgment by somebody's appearance. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees significance based on what's happening in a person's heart. Can I tell you, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal. The the glory of the Lord, we look up. 
the value of people we look out. And finally, I want you to see this, the poverty of our own souls we look in. I want to finish our time together with a reflection. Where are we in here? James says, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? I think it would benefit all of us before we leave here today to look within our own souls. You know the litmus test for how we treat people? I think it's how we respond to people, how we care for people, how we love people that can do nothing for us. I want you this week to determine, I want you to pick somebody that you see, somebody that that you run into, somebody that maybe you're connected to now. And and I want you to determine how you're going to treat them based on the fact that they can do zero for you. Let me be good to somebody who can do nothing for me. Let me give something to somebody who could never give back. Let me do something in secret. And I don't have to get fanfare or, or applause. But God in heaven sees. You know, I'm reminded of a story, and I, I think I've told this before. I didn't get a chance to share this in the, the first service, but the story of a guy by the name of Lieutenant John Blanchard. And this is back in the 1940s, before he was deployed for war during World War II, he was in a library in Florida. And he was reading a book that he had gotten off the shelf. And as he was reading the book, he noticed that whoever checked it out before him had made some notes in the margin. And he was fascinated by the notes that were taken. In fact, he found himself reading the notes more than he was reading the book. And he was so curious, who was it that wrote these notes in this book? So with the help of the librarian, he traces it back to a young lady named Hollis Maynell. And so he gets her address and he sends her a letter. He says, hey, Hollis, uh, I know this is awkward, but I was reading this book that I believe you had checked out before me. Um, I'm getting ready to be deployed. I'm I'm in the, the Navy and I'm going to Europe. I don't know how long I'll be gone, but with your permission, could I just write you letters? Well, she thought it was a little awkward, but she thought maybe harmless. Writing back and forth is no big deal. Sure. So they agreed. They exchanged addresses, and they began to write letters. Thirteen months, John Blanchard, he was in Europe, and he would write to her as often as he could. He would write to her. She would write back to him. And over their correspondence, their hearts began to grow fonder. And he would write her, and he'd say, Hollis, look, I've been telling all my friends about you. They say you're too good to be true. Would you send me a picture of what you look like? So she would write back and she'd say, John, if we care about each other as much as we say we do, appearance doesn't matter. Come on, somebody. Ah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. 13 months go by and he sends her a letter. He says, look, Hollis, I'm, I'm coming home. I'll be in New York on this date. Is there any chance we could meet up? She responded and wrote him back and said, sure, I'll meet you at this cafe on this street at 7 o'clock, and you'll recognize me by the red rose I'll have on my lapel. So the date was set. John came back home. He's dressed in full dress uniform. He's got flowers in one hand, and he has that book that started it all in the other. He's at the cafe at 7 o'clock, and he's waiting. 7.05, still waiting. Ten minutes after 7, he's thinking, man, I knew this was too good to be true. Well, about 15 minutes after 7, in this cafe walks this gorgeous, blonde-headed, blue-eyed girl. 
just absolutely the most stunning thing he'd ever seen. And she looks at him, and for a moment, he, he was just so caught off guard because of her beauty. And she says, hey, sailor, are you going my way? Well, about that time, over her shoulder, he noticed, seated at a table in the corner all by herself, there was Hollis. Wasn't anything like what he had hoped she would look like. She was older, a little overweight, nothing super attractive about her, but she had that red rose on her lapel. So he had to make a decision. What was he going to do? Well, he clutched the book. He let that blonde-haired lady walk on by, went over to the table, said, Hey, Hollis, I'm John. It's so good to meet you. If, if you'd allow me, I'd, I'd love to take you to dinner. That lady looked at him and said, Young man, I have no idea what this is all about. But that blonde-haired girl that walked in a few minutes ago, five minutes before, she begged me to wear this red rose on my lapel. And she told me that if you were to ask me out to dinner, she'd be waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. Come on, somebody. True story. How many of you know that love like that is a love that doesn't fade? Man, it's not based on appearance. Can I tell you this? God told us years ago, he said, Mike, if you go after the people nobody wants, I'll give you the people everybody wants. Let's be a church committed to treat people in the image of God. Amen. You receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.